0: You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research here at the University of Victoria. I'm Colleen, and I'll be your host today. Okay, I am so excited today to have on Beyond the Jargon, Sally Admans, who is a wonderful colleague of mine from the Faculty of Education here at the University of Victoria. Welcome, Sally. Thank you, Colleen. And I w- was hoping that you could let our listeners know what your exact area of study is right now, and then we're going to get a little more into your journey here before we get back into the specifics of what you're studying. If no that's problem.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, that's great, Colleen. So I'm in the Education faculty. Faculty, as you said, but I'm focused on art education specifically, and within that area, which is a huge topic, I focus specifically on how people transform through their creativity. Oh,
0: excellent. and as, as you know, I am also interested in anything that is about transforming. Mm-hmm. and That is why I am, again, so excited to have you here because I find the way that you go about things to be utterly fascinating, particularly in some of your presentations, the artwork that you displayed, uh, not only of your own artwork, but your interpretations of other artwork, I found really fascinating. So I'm wondering, what brought you to art? Did you know as a child, or is this something that developed later, or...?
1: So I grew up in South Africa, Colleen, and um, I was born into a family that approached life through the arts, always. My father was an architect, my mother was a ballet dancer, classical ballet dancer. My siblings were all very creative. So expressing ourselves through the arts was really a natural way to be. So it's never really been scary for me, which I know is a big problem for lots of people. Yes, definitely. It was like another language for me. Oh, nice. And as I grew up uh, and life gets in the way and uh, there was a civil war in the country and my parents divorced and I went through a lot of stress as a younger person, Mm -hmm. I always found that I was turning towards the arts when I needed to find a more adaptive way of being to my Mm -hmm. new circumstances. So it became interesting to me how the arts can make people strong, how they make new meanings for themselves when life gets difficult, and how their identities actually expand and become more fluid and adaptive to their environment as as a way of learning. So my particular interest is how can we learn through the arts to always keep up with the flow of life which is always changing yes, and definitely. how we get stuck behind and then we get that is stress. So yes. when we're not adaptive to the new circumstances we're stressed. Yes. And the arts to me, all the arts, are a way of learning new paradigms that are more more adaptive to our new circumstances. So we process and practice new paradigms through the arts that we can then put into practice in life.
0: So when you say paradigms even, are you referring to a particular pattern that you operate in that somebody trains you to operate in or are there lots of different paradigms that one might operate under like a paradigm at work versus one at school, if you could
1: expand on just the use of that So to me, and there's lots of ways of looking at the word paradigm and I must first of all say that I draw from the field of psychology as well as from the arts because Ah. this is kind of almost therapeutic practice as well. So in terms of the word paradigm, it would be perspectives. And if our perspective is out of sync with those around us or with the circumstances, we experience stress and Mm. so do people around us. So the more we... more Multiple paradigms or multiple perspectives we can include into our way of being, the more effective we become and the less stress we experience because we're in flow with our environment. And Daniel Goleman and other people uh, like Mahali Chicks and Mihali, people who've explored creativity and emotional intelligence which is one of the great aspects of creativity. Mm, Most definitely. Some of those academics who've studied this their whole lives, in a nutshell, say that emotional intelligence is the number of perspectives any one person can entertain at one time. Oh, that is a great way to look at that. That makes so much sense to me. So through the arts, we can, and it doesn't matter whether it's acting, whether it's dancing or whether it's painting or whether it's drawing, we don't need to be artists to practice the arts. And I'm really big on that, that you don't have to be super talented. You don't have to think of yourself an artist. Any human being can start working on their paradigms and perspectives through those media. Oh, I
0: love that. Now, one thing I was curious about, as you said, your family, was very artistic and obviously supportive of your artistic endeavors. Did you experience that in school? I know that some people, when they go through school, it seems to be the arts are the first things cut when there's a budget Mm -hmm. issue. Or they're told, well, make sure you get your academic subject studied first before you do art. Did you experience that lack of support in school? That's what brings yeah. you, gives you more passion, more fuel for your current research? Or This is
1: something I feel very passionate about, Colleen. When I grew up, it was a gentler, kinder time when there was money. Mm -hmm. And there is no longer money. So when I was at school, I was privileged enough to have drama and fine art. And if I wanted to, I could have done music and dance. And I know now that these things are considered a luxury. And that is what I'm... That's really where my passion lies, is in defending and justifying the arts as a way to develop multiple intelligences, Mm -hmm. which at this point with education system being focused on a market economy where people with more logical pursuits like the maths and the sciences, those are valued in the economy. This trickles down to what is valued in the schools. Mm -hmm. So the uh, politicians who decide how the money should be spent cut from the arts Because things like emotional intelligence cannot be quantified. And this is a huge problem and has implications for our future and our children's future beyond measure. If we are producing children who can only function in one aspect of their being, which is the logical, rational way of their being, we're not producing a future generation of people who are emotionally intelligent or very adaptive And if we can't be creative to solve the huge problems that are coming up in our future, if we can't be adaptive, and if we can't be emotionally and relationally intelligent, we are producing a generation of children that will malfunction, in my view.
0: I'm so glad to hear that somebody else feels that. Because sometimes I feel like, am I the only one thinking that in emphasizing this one part, you are only doing a part ...of a person. Mm. It's not the whole. And Mm. so, like you said, everybody is logically developed. That is great Mm. to have that. It's It's very important that we have that. Yes, for sure.
1: Without engineers and without medical advances, we would be nowhere either. Right. So I advocate for both parts of the human, both aspects of our being.
0: Well, what's interesting is that I've often found that it's the arts that enhanced my ability to think creatively in math Mm -hmm. and science when I was in school. Mm -hmm. So I felt like the two, to de-link them, Mm -hmm. just actually took away from what everybody valued so much, the math and the science. I had to link creativity through the arts to those and to advance in both subjects, actually.
1: So there are people like Howard Gardner, who believe that there's not only two forms of intelligence, which we're being a bit reductive here to say there's only two. Yes. There have been at least seven identified. So things like kinesthetic intelligence, musical intelligence, spatial intelligence are all aspects that are undervalued and cannot be measured by an IQ test. So that is our Mm -hmm. problem in the schools is there's only... One form of our seven, at least seven, I'm sure there's way more that we just haven't identified yet, but only one of our intelligences is measured by an IQ test in the schools, and that's up till this point what people have been basing curricula on and valuing only one part of at least seven of us, seven parts of us.
0: Well, first of all, it's refreshing in a way to hear that we have lots of options to go Mm -hmm. if there's at least seven. There's ways that we can expand. We're not limited to Mm -hmm. the way that we have now. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of people being open to that idea. Now, with that, do you have any examples of, oh, perhaps of a way that you approached an issue in your work and how the art basically got at it better than when they weren't using art?
1: Right. So, Colleen, when I teach my classes, there are ways that you can help students function in a more convergent way of thinking. And those are the maths and sciences. So in other words, if you're thinking convergently, you're moving from multiple options to one correct answer. Okay. okay. In my classes, I try to focus on the opposite way of thinking, which is divergent thinking. Ah, so moving yeah. from from one problem to multiple answers. Oh, nice. So that's one very clear way that you can think of curricula or facilitating your own children or those around you in their thinking to become more creative. So a lot of students who are naturally inclined towards the maths and sciences find that very stressful Mm. because they prefer the orderly outcomes of having only one answer. Yes. And there are students in the class who are naturally more at home with having multiple answers, none of which are correct or incorrect. So I try when I teach my classes to identify the people who are feeling a little stressed by that and spending more time with them oh, nice. and encouraging them to have multiple answers. And there's ways to do that because with an art, there's not only one way to do anything. There are multiple ways and it's mm-hmm. tangential thinking and it's not linear and it's it's relational and it's um, rhizomatic. It's not an orderly progression from one answer to the next. And that causes some stress for for students or learners or even adults who aren't accustomed to having nothing that is limited to only one option.
0: Well, especially if a particular school system, that's the way they functioned, Mm -hmm from someone's, let's say, kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, if that's the way the Mm. curriculum was set up, and then they're Mm. introduced to this new idea, I mean, that's really, talk about an ingrained Mm. pattern that you're coming up against. So So I find
1: it really interesting, even though our education system is driven at this point uh, from a market approach, which is to create more and more people who Mm. are able to think linearly, the companies at the moment in the world who are doing really well, like Google and Facebook, and the young companies which people in our citing as creative, like Apple or those are people who have decided that creativity actually pays. Ah. It's not only good for relationships and good for problem solving and good for the environment in, in terms of coming up with multiple options, it actually pays as well. So we're now getting young companies who are putting effort into good design and into creating workspaces which are encouraging of people having relationships and being able to come up with multiple ideas and zen rooms and in other words, getting getting the concept that the deeper you can relax, the more creative you're gonna be. Ah, excellent. And so what's an example of, of
0: something that you use where you saw what somebody else viewed as a problem and you approached it from an artistic standpoint, leading towards your research, which you were talking about, looking deeper into the transformational hmm. moments.
1: Okay, so this word transformation is is key to what I do, Colleen, and it, it's a word that's used in all fields, even in sciences and maths. So the word transformation implies changes of State or matter yes. from change of energy. So, in other words, a solid object like ice turning into water or steam has been transformed. Yes. So, if you put energy into a system, the matter or the form itself changes. Yes, yes.
0: It's not just a simple little transition from hot to cold. No. It's a
1: physical... It's a phys- Thank you. It's a physical, energetic change. Okay. So taking that as a metaphor, yes. we use that in... in well, I use that in my work. And um, I have looked at how this word or the principles behind how we can transform are perceived in the East and in the West. There are fundamental common core principles and those are the Mm. principles that i'm interested in so in the west people normally transform through expensive one-on-one therapeutic sessions with say a counselor or a therapist it's so the word transformation in the west is looked at more in a therapeutic Ah, manner okay so people would go and have counseling if they need transformation or if they need to learn how to be more adaptive to their environment. Right. In the West, therapy, up to this point, hasn't really been their way of transforming. Their manner of transforming is to practice spiritual practices. In the East? In the East. East yes. So, sorry, did I say the West? Yes, way? that's
0: okay. okay. I just want to make sure right. I'm on the right page. <laughs>
1: so in the West, it's more psychology. Yes. And in the East, it's more of a spiritual practice. Yes so practices of meditation in particular are considered to be self transforming mm-hmm. so we get a lot of practices there's there's not only one obviously in each culture they have a favorite way of doing that so there's tai chi or qigong or yoga and these practices are considered to be expansive of one's consciousness oh, okay yes which is another way of saying that we're becoming more adaptive or more insightful or having more perspectives. Right. So it's a slightly different perspective. Right. But the core principles underneath how we approach transformation in the East or the West are this, and that is that if we are consciously practicing something, whether it's the arts or whether it's Qigong or yoga or Tai Chi, we are learning how to manage our own mind and body and our energy. And by deliberately changing our consciousness, our whole way of life begins to change. So we're managing and taking responsibility for our own way of being through these practices. It sounds complicated, but it's not. I'll say that again. If you practice some of these practices, you are deliberately involving yourself in your own evolution. Mm-hmm. Put simply, yes. that is what transformation
0: is. That makes total sense. And so now we have that definition.
1: How does that fit
0: specifically with the art based mm-hmm. practices that you're looking into? Right.
1: So, Colleen, I've been so privileged to work with a number of different groups who practice the arts deliberately for transformation of the self. Mm-hmm. One group in particular that was really moving to me and it changed my life in so many ways was when I was able to work with some First Nations carvers here on the island. I was with them for a year. Nice. And their particular focus was trying to reconnect the young men in particular. It was a group of young men with their culture, their heritage, and to help them with some of the pain of their own past, Mm. which could have been anything from addictions to being an inmate in a prison or having had family abuse. So working with those memories and through pain, one can use art... In so many ways to do that, and we probably don't have time to do that because I'd like to tell you about what I will be doing with another group yes. in a minute. Yes. But these are kind of just rough, sweeping statements about oh, of where course. my work. Right, is your work involved. is so expansive. <laughs> but yeah,
0: I, I could talk to you for 24 hours, be completely enthralled and not begin to cover it. I know. So, so I'm I'll tell just, you quickly yes. about two a old, teaser, two other right? projects. A teaser, yes. and then there's.
1: You know, (laughs) then people can, like, look you up and say, hey, I want to know more about her research. Right. So my next project, which I'm leaving for in two weeks' time, will be to go back to South Africa, my country of origin. And there I will be working with a group of women who uh, are working through their difficult situation of being HIV positive Mm. with images Mm. and how courageous they are to be doing that, because to even acknowledge that you are HIV positive or or living with HIV or somebody in your family living with it is such a taboo subject still in that particular part of the world, that for them to be making art about this topic, I can't even begin to describe in words... How, how much they've transformed within themselves to even be able to find a voice about something which is officially silenced. Wow. The government up till very recently had a, an official policy that AIDS didn't exist in the country. It's called AIDS mm. denialism. Mm. So for them to be speaking about it and owning it and being able to, with that, take the responsibility in terms of the fallout which comes with that, is huge. Oh. Such courage. Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. that either. big stigma attached to it. And so they're working through a lot of grief and a lot of loss. It's mostly grandmothers raising their children. It's children. So grandmothers with their grandchildren because mm. the middle generation have disappeared from the village. Oh. Yeah, because of sickness. Um, so I'll be going into this village and they make... Tapestries. this particular group. The First Nations group I worked with were carvers. This group makes tapestries, huge tapestries of their uh, situation, which mm-hmm. is very moving art indeed. Oh, my gosh, yes. It's quite beautiful. It's very profound. So I'll be working with them. My next journey will be to India, where there's a group of people who deliberately cultivate meditation practices that are creative. So deliberately making art as a meditation practice, which is is part of the tradition in India. Coming from Hinduism and Buddhism, there's a very profound cultural practice of meditation in a variety of forms. So I found a place in Sanskrit, it's called an ashram, a community that practice art as a meditation form. So I'll be studying that one next. Well, that sounds to me like that's in support of, well, I've read some things about it, but
0: I firmly perhaps i I don't have my own research to prove it, but I firmly believe in my heart of heart, my soul of souls, that there is also a spiritual intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that really resonates with me because i've 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 felt that at times, mm-hmm. that whether, Perhaps mine wasn't through painting or creating, you know, a tapestry, but through singing. Mm-hmm. Some of the most amazing healing spiritual moments I ever had were by myself, mm-hmm. practicing a song for something else no one else heard, mm-hmm. and I couldn't quite explain it. But I just found myself in this place, and probably the best I'd ever sung. Mm-hmm. And when I was finished, I the only thing I could do was basically fall over. Mm-hmm. It was as if I was exhausted Mm -hmm. for just that one moment of, well, what,
1: two and a half minutes Mm -hmm. for a song. So there are people, a few, a handful of people who have looked at the spiritual aspect of creativity. And the way they would describe it is that you can become like a hollow flute when you're making art. Mm -hmm. So the more you empty yourself, the more you become a vehicle for a bigger energy than yourself. And the more you can enter the present moment and the more you can begin to move beyond the boundaries which we normally think of as our skin to almost living a bigger, higher self. Yes. Because in that moment, you're so focused and so present that you become a channel. And
0: That actually describes what I felt like. Yeah. Because to say outer body is the only term I'd ever heard before, and that wasn't describing it either. And I thought, no, I wasn't out. It was very different. But to hear you say channel, that's exactly what it felt like to me.
1: There are very uh, significant similarities between meditation and the deep concentration of being in the arts, which is required when, you, yes. when you're really present. And that is that the the mind becomes incredibly still, and one begins to move and respond from a different part of the self that is so so deeply delicious and fulfilling that once we've tasted that, we can't go back. That's yes. been my own journey. Yes, It's like a salmon moving upstream. Once it's smelt those pheromones in the yes. water, you know you're going back to your source right. and, and you're prepared to pay any
0: price yes. to get there. And talk about... It's not only beyond jargon, it's beyond words. Mm. It's beyond any vocabulary mm. that I know in, in my own language, mm. which I know pretty well. I can get there sort of mm. in words, but the experience was, mm. I guess it left me speechless, mm. right? And I think the language mm. of the soul mm. actually isn't limited to our verbal languages mm-hmm. in my own experience, but it sounds like that's mm. where your research takes you mm. to That type of language, Mm -hmm. the language of the soul, which actually makes me curious to how do you then take that and then put it into something in an academic university Mm -hmm. paper?
1: It's very difficult, Colleen, because the language they require here is the linear, objectified academic language, which is not the language of the soul. Yes. So it's hard for me to be able to use that language when I'm talking about such profound personal spaces. So I have had to motivate to be able to do some arts-based research in order to do this. I'll have to be able to function on the two levels to produce my PhD. I'll have to be able to speak about it very objectively, and I'll be able to also portray it through visual metaphor. Nice. So I'll be writing an academic paper as well as producing an exhibition for this.
0: It sounds like and I know at one time in in the class together you brought up the number of languages in your homeland that you grew up with, which I think you said is like, 11. 11 yeah. Yes. It's so interesting that you grew up with these multiple languages and now this is another language that we're mm-hmm. talking about, so I feel like you are a translator mm-hmm. for us. Like you are going to translate mm. this experience into the language that, you know, we can understand. Mm. It's not that the academic language is greater. I feel like your soul language is a more expansive language and, and it just needs to be translated.
1: Colleen, it's such an interesting point you bring up because it, my passion is to articulate, mm. which is another way of saying translate, articulate what I know to be true in my body. Yes, But I need to articulate it so that others can find that same place. That's been my life journey, really. So for me, when people say, oh, but you practice dance and you practice art and you practice drumming and you practice writing, why are you all over the map? Uh-huh. Well, I try to explain to them it's actually all the same thing. I'm just becoming Multilingual. Yes. So when I drum, I'm talking a language. When I paint, I'm talking a visual language. When I dance, I'm talking a gestural language. When I sing, I'm I'm talking a vocal language. Mm-hmm. But it's all a language of making what's inside me visible and giving shape to what I know to be true from inside. Mm. So the artist who uses multimodal outcomes is just multilingual.
0: Oh. Brilliant. I love that image. It makes so much sense to me. I have to believe that for the people out there listening, that somebody out there is with me and saying, yes, now I get it. That makes so much sense. It would be beyond refreshing, I think, to have someone realize, you know, I felt these things. But when I tried talking about it, people looked at me like I was just one of those crazy artists or whatever and to be more rational
1: so colleen all languages are symbolic yes so we have words which are symbolic we have numbers which are symbolic yes and we also have images which are symbolic mm-hmm. these are all symbolic languages but what we tend to do is think that words are, are not symbolic somehow that it's the only language you're right But what we're really doing when we speak any of these things, when we speak numbers or we speak image or we speak text, is trying to give voice to what we know in our body. So the body is is the originator of all this symbolic language. What we're trying to do is create a bridge between the self and the other through expressive symbolic language. And the fact that there's a hierarchy that's developed, that words are more important than images now, Mm -hmm. where does that come from? That Mm -hmm. one is privileged over the other, it's our schooling. Yes. And that's where I have a problem, that there has become a hierarchy where words and numbers have been privileged over image. Mm. But in fact, image was the original symbolic language. Yes. And so was sound, like drumming and dance. And slowly those have been deprivileged over the years through our education system so that only words and numbers are given any value. Talk about the
0: perfect subject matter for beyond the jargon, (laughs) right? Can I just express how grateful I am that you are not only articulate, but your passion is to help articulate these things for people like me. You're welcome. Connie. Thank you so much. Thank That's you. Great. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV.